Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life podcast. This is your host, Krista Bigler, private practice integrative nutritionist, helping people across the U.S. reverse digestive issues, eczema, and autoimmunity via phone and video consult. To learn more, visit lessstressednutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, so today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Melissa Groves, who is an integrative registered dietitian and the owner of Avocado Grove Nutrition and Wellness, an in-person and virtual private practice specializing in women's health and hormone issues, including PCOS, endometriosis, and fertility. She uses a functional medicine food-first approach that combines holistic lifestyle changes with evidence-based medicine. Melissa is also a second career dietitian. Before this, she worked as a copywriter and editor in medical advertising in New York city for 15 years before going back to school for nutrition, Ooh, which is a fun topic. I might want to just ask you about that, how you decided <laughs> that, hey, I want to be um, a dietitian instead of write about nutrition. So first, welcome, Melissa. And second, tell us about that little transition really quick. I, um, I have to tell you why I'm asking. It's just more of a personal interest. I also went to school for um, journalism and for nutrition because I always wanted to write about nutrition or get great information out to the public. I think now I do that through the podcast than through writing. So I guess that that's just a topic after my heart. Yeah. Thank. First of all, thank you so much for having me as a guest. I'm super excited to chat with you and, you know, I get to work with you more this year, um, which we can talk about later, but um yeah, super excited to connect. Um, so how I transitioned, um, I did at first actually think that what I wanted to do was transition from medical advertising into writing about nutrition. Um, back in 2000, I was living in New York and I was working in advertising and I was miserable, of course. And I was looking for some way to get a certification so that I would feel qualified to write about nutrition. And back then, um, Institute for Integrative Nutrition used to be a brick and mortar school. Like there were literally 40 of us in a room um, in Manhattan. And so I did that, that course, which I think was like six months of weekends. Um, And I finished it and I was like, 
I don't feel qualified to do anything. Um, I had wanted to be able to take that certification and then transition into writing or editing for, you know, food-based, um, nutrition-based magazines. And I, I just, I didn't feel like I was qualified for that. So then, you know, fast forward 12 years and I'm sitting in my, my Brooklyn living room and I'm looking at my, you know, four bookshelves full of, you know, food politics and recipes and nutrition books. And I was like desperate to get out of advertising at that time. I was working like 90 hour weeks. I was traveling all the time. Um, I was sacrificing so much of my own health um, to work in that job. And so I was like, you know, I wonder what it would take to, to really go back and do this and do nutrition for a living. So that was when I started going back to school to, to become a dietitian. Um, since, and when I was putting myself back through school, I did do some writing, which was mostly ghostwriting, um, you know, little jobs. I've, I've written for other dietitians. I've written for naturopaths and, you know, people in the functional medicine world, but as a ghostwriter, so you would never be able to know what I wrote and what I didn't. Um, and then after I graduated and, you know, when, when you graduate from the, the internship, there's never a full-time job. So you always have to cobble together a bunch of random jobs. And so that was when I started, I was writing for Healthline for a while. They hire dietitians and doctors um, to do evidence-based articles. So that was a good fit for a while. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I um, am, you know, exclusively fo focusing on my own practice and my, my own business right now. It's just, it's a lot of work to do one of those articles for them. So, so yeah, so writing will always be, you know, content development will always be a part of what I do. Um, right now, I'm just focusing on my stuff versus other people's stuff. I appreciate you telling us that. I don't really know how many people were interested. There is a lot of dietitians that listen to this podcast, and there's a lot of other super savvy people. So if this, if all the people that were not interested, sorry, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, also, because I just I have kindred spirit thoughts. And I'm glad you shared the piece about, I think a lot of people are, people are naturally interested in nutrition, right? Because, oh, I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people are, um, because we all eat or our health is all affected by nutrition. So it makes us naturally curious, right? We want to know more. And so sometimes that leads people to want a certification. And um, I get a lot of, I work quite a bit with my dietetic associate, and we get a fair amount of emails about like, how can I get this certificate? Or how can I like go back to school for this? And the, you know, nothing worthwhile is easy, um, I think is maybe the summation mm -hmm. of that, unfortunately. And so I, I like that you shared that you did the six month uh, training, and you didn't feel like it was adequate, because I would say like that I see that um, it doesn't and I don't, I hope that doesn't become a general statement, because it's not the case for everyone. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of experience, um, whether it's with education or with seeing your own clients, really is what kind of like elevates you to the next level, right? Experience and continuing education or educating yourself in the areas of specialty. And the areas of specialty today are hormones. Now, I think what's fun is in your story, you told us about how you had a fair amount of stress, work, life was stressful. Gosh, I feel like I know <laughs> everyone I know uh, could say that same thing. And before off air, we were talking about, and this can lead into some of the discussion about conditions. You were telling me how you have some 
your you ha- you experienced your own hormone imbalances, which may have made you interested in this area or this specific niche. Um, but that really presented as estrogen excess. So can you talk to us about stress and estrogen, and then we'll weave it into these conditions that we talk about. Yeah, um, I had definitely always had those, you know, really horrendous, painful periods. I remember back in college when I had the prescription, you know, 800 milligram ibuprofen and couldn't leave my my dorm room, um, you know, certain days of the month. Um, And I ended up on the pill for a really, really long time. And anytime I would try to go off the pill, it would just be a disaster. Like, you know, the mood swings, everything was, was horrible. I was eventually diagnosed with PMDD and put on the pill continuously, um, which obviously I didn't want to be because it, it just ruins, you know, there's so many health risks with being on the pill. Um, so from my own perspective, trying to figure out how to fix that was a big part of my journey. I think I didn't realize at the time how much nutrition and lifestyle was playing into my symptoms. Um, you know, and then I started working with a functional medicine RD. And when I was there, um, she would give all the weight loss clients to me. So I was seeing all these women. And, you know, when you're working in functional medicine, you're, you're trying to dig deeper for those root causes. And I would see that they're eating great, they're exercising, the scale is just not budging. And Um, When I would do that, that further digging, what I would find is there was almost always a hormone connection there, you know, either insulin was too high, cortisol was too high, estrogen was too high, um, or thyroid was low, or they had PCOS, you know, there was always something driving that inability to lose weight. And so when I opened my own practice, I just, I really felt like, especially the women with PCOS weren't be, weren't being um, properly served by the conventional med- medicine community. And so I really wanted to focus on that and be um, that, you know, trusted source that women could, could come to and, and would rely on, um, you know, to help them figure out what's going on with, with their own hormones. Um, there's definitely a connection between stress and estrogen. Um, you know, you've probably heard of the, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the HPA axis, which is when your brain tells your adrenals, you know, Hey, we're under stress, like make a lot of cortisol, make a lot of adrenaline. Um, but the, the other parts of that axis is, you know, it's, it's the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal ovarian thyroid axis. If there is something going wrong in one of those parts, it's going to affect all of the other parts. So, you know, the, the whole idea is trying to figure out, well, which part is it? Is it your stressful lifestyle that's driving your adrenals, that's then dragging down your thyroid, that's, you know, then giving you monster periods every month? Um, or or is it is it something else? Yeah, totally. The other, other piece of that, and I'm sure you can relate to this, but most women have their worst period in January. January is always like really symptomatic and painful and the cramps are bad and it's just terrible. And, you know, even I like 
you know, at the, by, by this point, I've done so much work on myself. I get to the point where I even forget that I have a period, which is crazy. You know, I just have no symptoms at all. And, you know, this January, it was like, oh, I had that like little breakout on my chin the week before my period. What's going on here? And it's like, oh, maybe this has something to do with the fact that, that I ate chocolate like every day from Thanksgiving until like January 7th, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, if you're having a bad period, there's almost always a, a direct cause to something something that happened that month. Maybe it was a super stressful month. Maybe, you know, your eating wasn't, wasn't on point. Um, but you can usually figure out what the problem was. Right. And estrogen is metabolized. I'm going to kind of summarize this and then we'll go into some deeper stuff. So estrogen is metabolized via some different pathways. And one of the final ways it can get inhibited to be eliminated appropriately, because our body should be able to, body is wicked smart, should be able to break down and eliminate things. And if it's not um, being eliminated in one of those last steps, one of the things that will stand in the way is stress. Um, And so sometimes when you do hormone testing, that's kind of like a kick in the face a little bit it'll say, oh, looks like your estrogen is getting stuck here in the stress roadblock and the caffeine roadblock a little bit. So I always think that one's kind of kind of interesting. Um, you're talking about a lot of symptoms around periods and we're talking about, so I just want to make sure this is clear. A lot of these symptoms around periods, um, heavier periods, breaking out before your period, painful period, those are often hallmark signs of excess estrogen. Correct, Melissa? Yeah, there's actually sort of three ways that that your estrogen can be excessive. Um, you know, either it's outright high, um, you know, and that's going to cause symptoms or it's normal, you know, technically within normal limits, but Mm -hmm. your progesterone is low in comparison. So that's going to cause symptoms. Mm -hmm. And then the third way is the detox uh, pathways that you alluded to, you know, we can get rid of our estrogen down one of three pathways. Um, only one of them is, is a totally protective good pathway. Um, the other two, one is the bad pathway and the other one I call the good bad pathway because it, you know, has to do with proliferation, which can be good or bad. Um, it's the type of estrogen that makes things grow in the body. So, um, that can be things like fibrocystic breasts and endometriosis from a bad perspective, but it also, you know, helps with things like bone density, which is a good thing. So, so yeah, you, you can be, um, you're having issues with estrogen in one of those three ways. And then, you know, if it's your detox, then, you know, you need to do some further digging and see, well, why aren't you detoxing down the correct pathway? Um, you know, in my case, um, it's genetic. You know, I, I have MTHFR and I have COMPT, which means not a lot of my estrogen was going down that good pathway. So, you know, knowing that, then I know where I need to address it. Whereas for someone else, you know, they may be going down the good pathway, but, you know, then their gut isn't able to eliminate the estrogen and it's recirculating in a more toxic form. So, you know, how I would approach that is completely different from how I would would approach someone with, you know, genetic root causes like myself. Yeah, totally. Okay, so we're talking about excess estrogen, but and people have these symptoms and they have no diagnoses, right? So a painful period. But then there are these other diagnoses. And that's what we want to get in a little bit today. So I'm going to ask you to uh, define a few things for me. You mentioned being diagnosed with PMDD earlier, and I don't think we got a definition. So if you'll define PMDD, PCOS, which we have talked about on a previous episode, um, 
but endometriosis as well, which we have not talked about in the past. So if you'll define these three conditions, that would be awesome. Yeah, so PMDD is uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and it's basically like PMS on crack. Like your brain just goes haywire. It's, you know, really, really bad PMS where you literally can't function. Um, PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome um, that, you know, you can be diagnosed with that in a couple of different ways. Um, the three criteria are either, you know, lack of regular ovulation or periods, um, high androgens, either like by testing or by symptoms. So that's, you know, testosterone, um, you would have symptoms like acne and the facial hair and, you know, male pattern hair loss. And then um, the third one is um, having those multiple small cysts in your ovaries. So you can have two out of the three to be diagnosed with PCOS. So you may not, you know, present in the same way that another woman with PCOS does. Um, And then endometriosis is um, when... So every month your uterus grows a lining, um, which we shed when we have a period, but the purpose of the lining is to support the development of an embryo that would implant in that lining. Um, Endometriosis is what happens when that lining starts growing in places outside of your uterus. So it can cause a lot of fertility problems because it can, you know, for instance, block your your fallopian tube, and then the egg's not able to travel down to implant into the uterus. Um, It can cause a lot of pain. It can, you know, sort of adhere to your intestines and other, you know, parts um, within your abdomen. I've, I've actually heard of people having endometriosis on their sciatic nerve and their main symptom was like pain down the radiating down their leg. Mm. Um, And then unfortunately right now there's not a a really good easy way to diagnose um, endometriosis. They really have to do an exploratory surgery to Mm. poke around in there and see what they see. Um, It's not always obvious from an ultrasound. Um, And then I there is a new test coming out. I, I don't know that it's been approved yet, but I know it's coming um, where it's a blood test that looks for certain markers um, that would help identify endometriosis more. So at least, you know, women who don't have it wouldn't have to go through surgery just to be diagnosed. So with PCOS, we know that it seems to take a while to get a good diagnosis or it's misdiagnosed sometimes for sure over years. Do you know if this is also a problem with endometriosis? It seems like the diagnosis could get missed often. And um, whether or not you know the answer to that, what is the conventional treatment for endometriosis? Yeah. So um, in terms of diagnosis, um, I think the stat is it, it takes over 10 years and over five doctors or something like that to to get a diagnosis of endometriosis. Um, it's so easy when a young woman presents with period pain to her GYN or her primary care doctor, um, and the answer is always like, just go on the pill. That will take care of everything. And because you're on the pill and it's shutting down your own hormonal system, it's kind of masking the symptoms, but it's still there and could still be be growing. Um, 
in terms of, of other conventional treatments, um, surgery, you know, excision surgery is, is considered the, the gold standard for, you know, it's actually considered curative by, by some people. Um, but it, that's not always true. It can come back. Um, cause obviously the root causes are still there. So there's actually, um, you may have seen the commercials on TV. There's a new, uh, drug that, they are promoting for endometriosis that basically works in your brain to shut down hormone pr- uh, production. So that's another newer, I'm sure very expensive, I haven't looked into it, um, conventional medical treatment for endometriosis, but it's not, um, it's a very serious drug, like the way that it works in your brain. I don't think, you know, that it, it comes without risks. Got it. So the options are not good. So let's talk about, so these are kind of like the, some big um, hormonal imbalances that have diagnoses. But if we want to go back a step, and we may have gone over this somewhat, but I'm going to make sure we're covering all the bases here. If a woman kind of suspects she has a hormonal imbalances, because I feel like hormones are sort of a buzzword. When you say hormones, people kind of are like interested because they everyone feels like they're kind of affected. Obviously, everyone's affected <laughs> quite a bit. But um, so if you feel <laughs> like you have hormonal imbalance, what signs and symptoms would you be looking for? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I I think um, it's very trendy now. It's almost like how gut health was a a few years back. Mm -hmm. I feel like right now, leaky gut, you know, everyone thought they had leaky gut a few years ago. Um, Now I feel like everyone thinks they have hormone issues and, you know, they they probably do. Um, We have a lot of stuff in our world that is preventing our hormone systems from operating correctly. You know, we're, we're exposed to a lot of endocrine disruptors just in our environment so many more than we ever have been before. So, you know, it's, it's very likely you do have hormone issues. Um, And I definitely recommend getting tested. Um, some of the, the symptoms that I look at, you know, that, that may indicate certain things, you know, if you have low progesterone, I'm going to look for things like spotting before your period for a couple of days, um, spotting between periods. I'm going to look for, um, headaches before your period starts. That's a really menstrual migraines, um, right before your period are, are usually caused by you know, too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. Um, you know, if you're, if we're thinking you have like estrogen excess symptoms, those are going to be things like PMS, heavy periods, clotting during your periods. Um, again, the headaches, um, breasts being sore before your period, they, you know, really shouldn't be that sore. Um, and then some of those medical diagnoses, things like fibrocystic breasts, um, endometriosis, um, polyps, fibroids, those kind of things are all estrogen dependent. So if you have those, that's going to be a red flag that, that your, your issue is estrogen for me. Um, cortisol is a funny one. Um, I always, I can, it's one of the ones I can't really tell with someone sitting in front of me. I will see someone sit in front of me and be like, okay, this person is totally type A, like their cortisol must be through the roof. And then we test it and it's just like, flat across the day. And I'm like, I don't even know how you're standing up at this point. Um, (laughs) So that do you see that too, where like, it's totally the opposite of what you thought it was going to be? Yeah. So I have some things where I'll sort of test. I mean, 
sometimes people you can just tell when you're talking to them they look like they're hit by a truck right like so that you know that they're like not doing well but what you were saying is that type a over the overdrive thing i think then of course people get into overdrive and then then they flatline but i i completely empathize i completely um agree i had recently had a hormone test come back and i was totally expecting a mess in the adrenal category and it really ended up being estrogen which was fortunate because it solidified some hunches i had that wasn't showing up other places because sometimes (laughs) the symptoms and medical history and hunches uh seem to present a little bit more fully than what shows up on certain tests um but yeah i it's sometimes hard to tell although i'm gonna interject this because you had said which i thought was great Hormone health, and I think sometimes we're just biased because we're working in that area, so I'm not really sure it would be fun for the listeners to tell us the answer to this. Um, Not right now. It feels like hormones are kind of trendy to talk about. Previously, it felt like gut health was trendy to talk about. Um, In my brain, I think the gut health and the hormones are a thousand percent, uh, you know, related, of course. (laughs) Of course, they're related. So when gut health Mm -hmm. is messed up, then hormones are messed up. Um, But I guess that's, that's sometimes my point because what's going on in your gut health will severely tax um, what's going on with adrenals and sometimes make cortisol funky, but I don't know that that's if it totally just does cortisol anyway. So, uh, yeah, sometimes it's a surprise. Uh, this is why I think testing, and this is a good segue into another question. Um, this is why testing is useful and necessary because sometimes it's surprising. We don't want to just go off like we want to see, and that helps, it helps everyone in the room to make sure we can corroborate what we think is going on. Um, so let's talk about some testing. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't, it's not in it's not what we think. So let's talk about tests that you should get done if you have hormone imbalances overall or fertility issues. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Dutch test, as I, I think you are too. Um, the problem with going to your doctor and getting hormone testing done is that you're only getting one point in time on a random day of your cycle. Um, which may or may not be accurate as to what your whole month looks like. Um, You'll get your outright hormone levels from that type of testing, but with the Dutch, you get so much more information. You know, you you see the the three different types of estrogen, not just estradiol, which is what most um, conventional tests measure, and then you see what pathways all of your hormones are going down. you know, so you also get the the 24-hour cortisol reading and cortisone, which is important because if you're just measuring cortisol and you're not seeing how much cortisone someone has, which is the the inactive form of cortisol, um, like maybe maybe you have totally low cortisol, but then your cortisone is high. You know, that tells us you know we need to improve your conversion, not that we need to in, increase your actual cortisol. So. Um, yeah, I, I rely on the Dutch test for, for pretty much everything hormonal. Um, I've I've done spot checks or I've I love when I have a client who's actually been working with a a reproductive endocrinologist who has actually done some of those those day three labs like LH, FSH, AMH, because those are things that Dutch doesn't measure. So when I, you know, have someone where we have both pieces of it, it, you know, we're just able to get a much fuller story of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Totally. I will mention something. Uh, I had a sweet past client recently uh, send me a message and say, I bought this hormone test online by this unnamed um, 
well-advertised testing company that maybe maybe doesn't have great, (laughs) great tests in multiple areas. Um, And they're kind of of frustrating to me. And she's like, and this is what it showed. I was like, this is a thousand percent inconsistent with your symptoms. I would highly doubt this is actually what's going on. And I don't, I don't care enough to go look at what their technology is or whatnot, but there's a clear difference in quality of testing. So don't test just out of curiosity. I know it's like so fun. We all want to test out of curiosity, but you'll probably waste your money um, to be perfectly honest if it's like a garbage or not, not a good test. Um, And so fortunately we got our you know, set in the proper direction and, um, she's working on the real root causes now. And so that's good, but I just have to throw that out there as well, that there's a big difference in types of tests and it's kind of a whole conversation of its own, isn't it? Uh, Absolutely. I know exactly who you're talking about and the, you know, I get, I get clients who've bought those on their own, especially the IgG tests. They're Mm -hmm. really, really common. Um, and then, you know, having to explain that this, you know, this, yeah, this might be, you know, not quite accurate and we might want to do some, some deeper digging, um, at, at markers that actually make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that's the problem even, you know, and as I mentioned, even with the, the conventional, like trustworthy conventional doctor ordering hormone labs for you, um, you know, that's problematic because it's just that one snapshot in time. It's not representative of of what's really going on for you or what you're doing with those hormones. Totally. Okay. So let's talk about inflammation and how inflammation impacts these. Because when I think of the conditions you define for us here, I think about inflammation as a huge piece. So talk to us about that and what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Inflammation is one of the the main root causes of PCOS. Um, Not everyone is inflamed, um, but most people I test show signs of inflammation. Um, You know, inflammation drives insulin resistance. Inflammation drives testosterone production. So if you are inflamed for whatever reason, that's going to... um, you know, impact your PCOS symptoms. So, you know, that's where we work on things like an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, You know, sometimes supplements, if that's like a really big um, issue for them, you know, just working on that inflammatory lifestyle and getting that down. Um, And same thing for endometriosis. It's um, a main root cause of endometriosis. Um, It's you know, the growth of the lesions with endometriosis are driven by estrogen, um, but ultimately it's, it's inflammation that, that, you know, causes it to grow. So that's going to make your symptoms worse. So, you know, I think inflammation is really, you know, across the board, um, one of the root causes for a lot of, of female hormone problems. Um, I see it with, um, my fertility clients as well, you know, maybe they've been through all the testing and they've, they've, you know, even gone down the IVF road. And if you're inflamed, then, you know, you're not going to get that embryo to implant. Um, So I often end up working on inflammation with my fertility clients as well. And, you know, as you know, like there are many causes of inflammation. So it's trying to figure out what are the biggest ones that we can work on getting down um, for for my clients. Right. And one of the tricky things about working with hormones or periods <laughs> in a way is that they only come around technically once-ish a month. And so 
sometimes the effect the thing the changes you're making now will affect things you know next month two months three months down the road so helping people understand kind of the big picture and when you start to see results of that I mean it takes a little time for hormonal improvements to take shape sometimes right Um, that's kind of the big thing to think about yeah, I usually, you know, I work with my clients for, for three months, um, and it's usually usually that second or third month well, where they'll start to notice differences, mm-hmm. and then, you know, sort of months down the road, I'll get a message from them saying, you know, hey, just wanted to let you know, like, everything's amazing, I haven't broken out in six months, I haven't had any PMS, I haven't had any headaches, um, you know, it, it does take time, so we, we start to see those changes, but... Um, you know, and then I know we're on the right track. Um, and then it's just a matter of, of continuing to do the things that, that are working. Right. I appreciate you mentioning that because I think it's so important to keep expectations um, realistic for what what is realistic for that condition or that issue. And so sometimes when symptoms start to disappear, it doesn't mean that the, the healing is all done. Sometimes there's still more root cause work to do to just keep thing, calming things down. Um, I think we're just such an instant society, right? And so it's a challenge because we don't want to be complacent. I say this all the time, but you can be realistic realistic but not complacent so if things aren't moving forever I mean that's just not appropriate but if they're you know if they're not getting slowly better at a time like if you can see that things are getting slowly better you know eventually you won't forget what a rough patch that was in the past so yeah I I especially love that as as related to weight loss because I I do tell my clients like you are not going to lose 10 pounds in your first month working with me it's just not going because you know I consider weight a symptom um, and your weight is not going to start to move in the right direction until your hormones are balanced. Amen, so sister. it takes those, <laughs> you know, yeah, it takes those few months to get the hormones balanced. And then all of a sudden it will be like, oh, by the way, you know, I've lost six pounds since the last time we talked, like something just clicks once, once everything's in you know, working in operating order, um, you know, and it's, it's funny because there is that perspective of like, oh, I go on a diet, I lose 20 pounds, it feels instant. Um, but again, this is one of those things I hear from clients months and months later. It's like, oh, by the way, I was down 30 pounds from my doctor's appointment last year. It's like, that's the kind of weight loss that is sustainable, the kind when you're, you know, actually fueling yourself and you're, systems are in balance and you're feeling good, um, you know, and it may not feel as sexy as going on a whole 30 and losing, you know, 20 pounds in a month. But, um, you know, it's ultimately the the type of weight loss that, that sticks around and is, is healthy for you. That's a good segue into we're talking about weight loss. That's a painful piece, but people need to understand that there's a lot of root causes there. So let's talk about best diet for hormone balance and fertility. And what isn't a good, good diet for hormone balance and fertility? <laughs> uh, so hormone balance and fertility, I would consider sort of two separate categories. Um, under the, the hormone balance piece, I would say there is no one right diet because everybody's situation is different. You know, for me with my, my genetics being the way that they are, 
um, in order to support my estrogen detox pathways. I need to, you know, really go nuts on the cruciferous veggies. I, you know, I eat broccoli sprouts like they're going out of style. Um, for somebody who's who's looking to boost their progesterone, you know, it might be a, a different approach. Um, you know, in general, an anti-inflammatory diet is going to help with hormone balance. Something like the um, Mediterranean diet, you know, where you're not eliminating any food categories, you're focusing on omega-3 fish and beans and whole grains and tons and tons of colorful fruits and vegetables. And, you know, that that's the part that is similar to the fertility diet, you know, for, for optimum fertility for both men and women. Um, you know, I just want to mention the men because I, I work with a lot of clients who, you know, they're literally doing all the things to get pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. And then you find out their husband's like eating fast food every day at work or he smokes two cigarettes when he gets home from work or smokes weed or drinks three beers every night. And it's like, well, he's got to get on board with this, too, you know, um, so I feel like a lot of responsibility falls on the women. Um but in general, like same thing, you want, you know, a, a balanced, um, high in omega-3s, um, you know, moderate amounts of whole grains, and then tons and tons of fruits and veggies. Um, this is literally where the, the eat the rainbow um, really counts because eggs and, and sperm are very fragile um, and they're very... Um, susceptible to damage by, you know, free radicals. And, and so you want to up your antioxidant, um, consumption and, you know, the place we get antioxidants from is from colorful plants. So you want to make sure that you're eating all the colors because all of the colors contain a different set of antioxidants that, that are protective. So, you know, super varied, um, you know, primarily plant-based, high amount, you know, small amounts of quality protein and um, whole grains and and beans, and then you know, good healthy fats like nuts, um, olive oil, and you know, the the salmon and sardines, things like that. I love it. So tell us if because we're talking about trendy things. So tell us if the keto diet is good for PCOS or fertility. I actually have a whole article on this on my on my website. So um, definitely check out my my thoughts on the keto diet for PCOS. Um, I don't think it's it's appropriate. Um, You know, first of all, I I don't think it's necessary to go that low carb. Um, You know, while you definitely want to have a much more balanced macro approach with PCOS and not make carbs the the star of your plate. you don't need to go that low to experience benefits. Um, I also think it is stressful on the body, you know, um, going keto and too low carb can put too much stress on the adrenals, which, you know, as we've mentioned already, they're all connected. So if you're, if your body thinks it's under stress, it's going to crank out cortisol. Um, and that's, you know, not going to help you lose weight. Um, I've had, especially because of the, the hormone imbalances in PCOS, I've had, you know, several clients who had actually gained weight on a keto diet because it, you know, and they gained it all in the belly, which is, you know, 
no fun for, for anyone. Um, and then finally, um, I'm extremely opposed to the keto diet for fertility. Um, you know, in the first trimester, the baby actually doesn't need any additional calories. Uh, what it needs is micronutrients. And the way that most people are doing keto is extremely low in micronutrients. And mm-hmm. I know like the, the believers will tell you like, oh, I eat plenty of, of vegetables, but they're eating the same vegetables. It's lettuce, it's cucumbers, it's tomatoes. It's not that colorful, brightly colored a varied diet that's necessary for fertility. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melissa, this is fun to talk about all this. And we didn't get to talk a ton about fertility, but if you could give us a, your two cents there, I feel like the thing, I mean, really, we were talking about a lot of things and hormone imbalances and the same things that help with, you know, certain hormone imbalances are going to help with fertility. Fertility is a big umbrella of what can be going on underneath of it. Right. I mean, someone, I don't know which of our colleagues says this, fertility is so interesting and complex. It's a miracle that people get pregnant at all. It really is. Um, I would say, you know, if you've, if you've been down the route where, you know, you're not getting pregnant on your own, you've started working with a fertility doc and you, you find yourself in the place where you have that, that dreaded diagnosis of, you know, unexplained infertility, where it's like, we don't know, like you're ovulating, all your parts are fine, all your partner's parts are fine. Um, We just don't know. That's where I, you know, as a functional medicine practitioner, I really recommend digging deeper. Um, It's almost never truly unexplained. Um, You know, that's when, you know, I'll, I'll get someone in who maybe had a TSH done that looked fine, you know, their, their basic thyroid test. Um, and then I'll, I'll do a full panel and they'll have, you know, thyroid antibodies through the roof. Um, or it's a low progesterone issue. Progesterone is another really common one. Um, if you're not making enough in that two week period between ovulation and your period, then the embryo is not going to be able to implant properly in the lining. So you could be miscarrying before you even know it. Um, and then inflammation is, is another thing that, that I look at and, and work on, um, you know, when we've got a, a diagnosis of unexplained infertility. Um, so I would say it's almost never actually unexplained. There's always a root cause. Right. Totally, totally. <laughs> Melissa, where can people find you online? Yeah, so you can find me on my website, which is www.avocadogrovenutrition.com. Um, the best place to find me, though, is Instagram. I'm super active on there. My um, handle there is the.hormone.dietitian. Um, and, you know, if you go to my, my website, um, I have that keto article that I mentioned before. I have a ton of stuff. I have another one on, on PCOS um, and why it's so difficult to lose weight with PCOS and a bunch on fertility and, and all of that as well. Cool. Melissa, thanks so much for coming on and talking about such a fun, popular topic. Um, I hope someone was enlightened today. And I think that you have a, a PCOS qu- coming up in September. And on your website, people can um, sign up for the waitlist for that as well, right? Yes, I will be um, 
launching a course um, on the the root causes of PCOS and how to address them um, in early September. So so be on the lookout for that. And I will have a sign up page ready for you to um, you know sign up and get on the wait list. Great. Thanks again, Melissa. I can't wait until our next conversation. All right. Great. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 